Hey folks, this is Martin Popoff, Heavy Metal Nut Bar. You're listening to Scott Thompson on Focus on Metal. Focus on Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and welcoming you to the July 4th Holiday Week edition of Focus on Metal. I figure that summertime is that best time to be kicking back, blasting the music out, and uh, while you're reclining at the beach or by the pool or wherever, it, uh, you kick back with some light, heavy metal reading. And I thought that why not this week just let you be aware of a few things that are out there by inviting a couple of authors onto the show. So, first up, we will welcome back once again Martin Popoff to the show. And can you believe that ID that kicks off the show? I did that back with Martin in July of 2011. And I've actually lost count of how many times I've had him on the show. And I've really lost count of how many Popoff books I've actually got on my bookshelves here in the studio. But this week, we got Martin back on. He's going to talk about all the stuff he's been involved with recently. And one of the big things he's here to talk about is that he took his big top 500 metal songs and he's called that down to a brand new project breaking all of those books out into various decades so he's got uh, the first one that was out is called riff raff the top 250 heavy metal songs of the 70s and follow that up with aces high the top 250 heavy metal songs of the 80s and then he has a 90s book also planned to round out that trilogy but those first two are available right now up on martinpopoff.com as well as a whole crap ton of other pop-off books and then after our talk with martin we'll be digging in uh, with jim santora jim has published a book called underrated rock book the 200 most overlooked albums 1970 to 2015 so since we've got so much ground to cover this week i won't be playing any music at all it's just going to be straight chat with martin and jim but by the end of this episode I think you have a good steer of a couple of uh, tomes that you can pick up and chill out with while you're enjoying some of the latest metal releases and a bit of time in the sun. So with that, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Richie as he chats with Martin Popoff. Hey, Richie. How are you? Hey, Martin. How are you doing? Sorry about that. That's <laughs> all right. Off. I just got a new phone. I'm just trying to figure out how to use it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> So let, let's get into it then, Martin. I, I have to ask, what, what books are you working on at the moment? Well, um, I am going to do the update of this, uh, or the next one past this 80s one, which is the 90s one, but also I'm, uh, I'm kind of repurposing my old out-of-print um, Iron Maiden Two Minutes to Midnight and writing a proper sort of narrative Iron Maiden thing, mm-hmm. which will probably turn into three books. I'll probably do a, an 80s, a 90s, and a 2000s. Done. Nice, nice. So, so what happened with yeah. the al- what happened with the album by album book series you were doing? Something happened to the publisher. Yes, it's a big publisher, and um, what they did was uh, they closed down the music book division. So there's still a going concern, and they're still a big company. But I, you know, there's no more deals to uh, to get any of those done. Past the Queen one, I ended up doing five of those. Right. Yeah, um, you weren't in the middle of doing another one when all this happened, were you? 
No, no. Um, basically, had no more deals. It was a, it was kind of a clean break. And then I had a weird problem with I couldn't get copies uh, to, you know, to put up on my website and sell them. The Maiden and the Queen, but both of those actually just went back into uh, into print. So even though there's no music book division, you know, they're still they're still kind of working the catalog. Mm. I have to ask, how did you get Paul McCartney to do the Queen one? Yeah, that was pretty crazy. So, so essentially, um, I was finished the book; it was all done, um, and uh, and I get an email saying Paul McCartney has uh, agreed to talk to you for your Queen book. So I quickly fell off my chair and uh, and uh, and emailed the publisher and said, you know, stop the presses; we got Paul McCartney, and so. And then, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I had a couple couple times fall through, and then one Friday afternoon, it was uh, all systems go, and he phoned up exactly on time. He was driving his own car. He said, oh, Martin, usually, usually I have a driver, but today I'm driving back from the studio. So he was driving his own car, and uh, on the way back from the studio, doing that last album, and uh, basically had him in the car. I, I didn't want to keep him too long, but I, I kept him a little longer than uh, than I normally would have. But I, I did sign off because I didn't want to eventually kick him off. But he said, oh, man, you got me, ca- yeah, yeah, I'm a captive audience here. I'm just driving, just driving home. And you could tell he's driving, and he, then he's, like, going up a little country lane and oh dear you know there's a woman in front of me back up love back up love so so he was you could tell he was like on the on the big roads the small roads the smaller roads so uh and you know i kept the questions really light yeah. i mean softballs because i didn't expect him to be a crazy queen expert or anything yeah that has to be the biggest name you've ever interviewed yeah, well, you know, I always have this debate with people. He's he's probably well, probably I, I say for sure he's the world's biggest living rock star. Yeah, I would agree with you. you. Know, I, I would, yeah, I, I mean, I always have this this uh, this debate with people every once in a while. But I think number one and number two are undisputed, and then after that, it's a free for all. And I think it's Paul McCartney, then Mick Jagger, then there's like about six or seven guys that could be tied for third. Yeah, yeah. So. Martin, the book you did was about 10 years ago, the top 500 heavy metal songs. Um, you've decided now to split them into decades. What, what made you what make that decision? Okay, so yeah, that book came out uh, about 2003, and then I followed it up, I think it was 2004, with the top 500 heavy metal albums of all time. Hmm. And, the, you know, the, the, I've, I've often for a long, 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 long time wanted to um, update that, because 2003 is now a long time ago, right? So I love, I love this democratic thing where you're trying to get the correct answer to something, right? Yeah. And... Um, I was just, you know, Facebooking away one day, wasting time, and, and one of my Facebook uh, buddy, uh, buddies, Chris Capo Negro, uh, basically said, hey, why don't you split it up into decades? And I thought, that's a great idea. So um, rather than just do 500 again, because what I was a little worried about is, is if I took the poll again and did another 500, if you think like a quantitative analyst, right, you would you would basically come to the conclusion that probably 460 songs are going to be the same. And then maybe at the end, there's just going to be some, some, you know, tripping onto the list and tripping off the list way at the bottom rungs. Hmm. So what I wanted to do, I also wanted to put um, a, a few pictures in. So both of these, I did, I did riff rap, the top 250 heavy metal songs of the seventies and Aces high, the top 250 heavy metal songs of the eighties so far, both of them have live shots in them too, along with, the 45 sleeves, which which I really like. I like putting in the 45 sleeves of a song that they exist, right? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So the idea was, um, you know, I, it allowed me to write a little longer. It'll allow me to have new entries come in because, you know, I, I did use that old writing, although I, I did um, update, overhaul, improve the writing. I changed some of the quotes. Um, and then, of course, there's a bunch of new songs because if you do, if you do 250 and you just focus on the 70s, that's going to open the door for a lot more stuff to come in. Same with the eighties, same with the nineties. Um, and then it leaves the door open to do a two thousands later, but I, I am going to do a nineties. So, so yeah, so, so a few different reasons. I mean, right off the bat, um, through three books, I get 750 songs instead of just 500. And by breaking it into decades, I think you, you force, um, some new thinking and some new entries uh, as it as it comes in, but you know, honestly, I mean, if you ask the question in two thousand three, uh, the top songs of the seventies or the eighties, um, it's not really going to change very much. There's going to be subtle changes, but not a lot. Mm. Now, Martin, what different uh, avenues did you use to get the information this time? that you didn't use in 2003. I'm taking you used social media a lot more on this one. Absolutely. Um, I used Facebook uh, to ask the question, uh, and I got tons and tons of responses, plus my database of people who um, have bought my books. You know, I pop their email in there, anybody who buys a book. That thing is way, way, way bigger than it was back then. So I went through my entire database and sent them all out the question as well. Mm -hmm. And I used and I used some of the uh, uh, results from the, from the early one as well, if people did, didn't uh, call in or didn't answer in through Facebook or through, uh, you know, the, the main thing to, to, um, to give me an updated list, right? And I asked people, uh, you know, are you giving me an updated list here kind of thing. And then uh, I did the same thing where I asked for uh, a one of four different ways, the, uh, the easiest way and then the toughest way, which is, uh, a 10 unranked, 10 ranked, 25 unranked, 25 ranked. And then, uh, we weighted them, um, the same way we did it, uh, in the, in the early one. I had my dad actually do all the math on it. He was the keeper of the database again. Um, and so that's how, that's how I ended up with, with the massive results. And of course, they go much farther than 250, but they, but they start to flatline out, right? It's, it's more like a hockey stick. Yeah. Um, you get a real steep gradient at the front and then it starts to peter out and, and, you know, you essentially get what are, what are ties really down to the last 100, right? Yeah. What, what sort of time frame did you give people to send in the results? Cause you can't wait forever to do something like this. Yeah. You know, I, I started when, as soon as I start writing it, I could start asking people. So, so, you know, the writing of the books took, you know, a couple months at least anyways. Um, so, so waiting that whole time I was in a rush to get them in I would just get them in and I would I would collate you know 10 15 20 lists at a time and, and call that a chunk and then and then maybe go in and update it and then I'd get another bunch in I'd collate them all together wait till I had a bunch did the math on it added it in and uh, and just kind of proceeded that way and then eventually closed the gate hmm. did, did you get a lot of people sending in results where they pick one band and then all the songs will be from the same band. Was there a lot of that? No, there wasn't much of that, but there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of people kind of wanting to show their, their obscurity and their depth of knowledge. Right. (laughs) So you get, you get, I did get, I did get quite a few lists where I swear to God, I mean, I I think some of these are, I mean, some lists probably, 
had nothing that was going to make the top 250 so so the votes were like meaningless they you know if if you pick a pick an obscure morbid angel song from the 80s um you know it's not going to get any other votes and that's another thing that happened if you were an obscure band as long as you had one song that was pushed way forward um, and that song tended to get a lot of votes, votes when people were thinking about that band. It's the whole hit single thing, right? Yeah. Uh, a hit single can make a hit album simply from one song, right? Mm-hmm. So the same thing was happening here. If, if you were a, a totally obscure band, but you had one massive song, your song got in. But if you were an obscure band and people loved seven different songs from this obscure band, there'd be so much vote splitting going on that the band wouldn't get in. And yet, you know, as a band, they got, they got more votes or as much votes as, as the band with, you know, everybody concentrating on the one song. Mm. Were you expecting a lot of the 80s uh, results to be hit the singles rather than album tracks? Because when you look at the 80s, MTV broke. It was all about the single, the single, the single, and some of the album stuff had filler on it. Yeah, I, I would say that that was, well, you know, that's not much different from the 70s book, because the 70s book as well, singles singles were a driving force in that music too. Um, I would say as bands get more uh, more uh, extreme, say, like say the more extreme bands from the 80s that are in here, a little bit of black metal, a little bit of death metal, um, quite a bit of thrash, right? Mm-hmm. Um you you wouldn't per se call call you know three four different overkill or testament songs you wouldn't really call them all singles but i think it starts getting into that nomenclature of uh concert favorites right i mean everybody every deep metalhead knows the best iron maiden songs and and you know they you know well for example maiden maidens i think the top two maiden songs that made the poll are hallowed be thy name and the number of the beast right Mm-hmm. And so, Hallowed isn't exactly one of their one of their. You know, I don't know if it. I don't think it was ever released as a single. Um, so, um, you know, not everything's going to be a single. So things things rise to the top, and it's not going to be the main singles either. So, yeah, I, I think metalheads. Uh, I have a lot of respect for metalheads. They know what the what the key material is, and and it's not always a single. Yeah, I think a lot of the results, Martin, are from eighties bands are very heavily weighed under early 80s material uh, and not the late 80s material. When you look at the likes of Accept, like the, you mentioned Maiden, Metallica, it, it's all like the first two, three records and not the stuff they released later on in the decade. Yeah, and I think that's kind of with every band. I mean, every band's classic period tends to be um, the, the early stuff. I mean, there are there are notable exceptions, but I would imagine that the 70s book panned out a little bit like that as well. Hmm. Although, if you were an early '70s band, I mean, the, the music is is pretty obscure and it could be a little psyche. But, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, that all the classic Maiden and the classic Metallica in here is is from them. You know, I I think um, one thing that was confirmed for me as a as a subtle thing that happened that may not have been the case back in 2003. I think I think if I I, I don't know I, I haven't compared directly this two band comparison, but I I would think that the 2003 poll people might have had Metallica more in their mind. And now in the 2017, 2018 poll, uh, 2019, yeah, 2018, I guess all of it was, I think people have Iron Maiden more in their mind than they have Metallica. Hmm. So, 
Yeah, so so I think I think Maiden went up. Um, I think Priest uh, made a pretty good showing. Sabbath did a pretty good showing, interestingly, simply because of you know off the strength of Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. Yeah, well, the one band that stuck out to me that I I didn't think they'd have as many songs in it is uh, Metal Church. Yeah, they had a lot yeah, of songs. People love that band. Yeah, it's it's again. I think uh, I think what happens there is. Uh, is if you have a few uh, a few key songs that uh, that come forward, I, I do I do a few little funny um, you know analysis in the back and and uh, what, what was I saying there? So so the first book had Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, and Motorhead, Motorhead, and now we get uh, Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden, and Metal Church, Metal Church, right? <laughs> so uh, so you have those title songs in here too. Um, but uh, yeah, people people love Metal Church. I love Metal Church. People don't people don't forget them. So yeah, that that is a good one. Wasp did quite well too, which is funny because because Blackie's kind of disappeared. And, you know, I I didn't think people had had Wasp on their minds, but they they certainly do. Yeah. Well, Martin, what's your issue with the production on the Wasp records? Well, um, I find uh, I find those things. It's a little bit of that Pasha sound, right? Um, mm. that, that kind of Spencer Proffer sound. Now, I I don't even remember if Spencer even produced any Wasp records, but it has a bit of that sound. And sometimes I like that sound, and sometimes I don't. I mean, it's a little bit like the Kickax sound, a little bit like the Icon, the Quiet Riot sound, right? I find it. Uh, I find. I would say. To answer your question directly, I would say um, an annoying, uh, distorted amount of mid-range. Okay, okay. I, I, I think I know where you're coming from on the Wasp records. You, they do have their own sound, and they are an acquired taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah for so, sure. And, and I know another neat thing that Blackie once told me uh, you know, about, about their sound, which I thought was kind of neat, is that he loves drums and he loves Keith Moon. So there's always this, uh, there's always kind of a busyness to the drumming going on with, you know, if you go back and listen, you can hear a lot of drums on Lost Records. Hmm. So Martin, how surprised were you that Alice Cooper's Poison made the list? Yeah, funny. I mean, I, I guess people didn't forget Alice. Um, where did Poison come out in? That's, uh, about 200-ish, I think. Yeah. 200-ish Poison. So, so that would be uh, that would be what year is that? Nineteen eighty nine. That would be almost because because you almost throw me for a loop there because I almost think of that as a nineties song, but I mm. guess it is a late eighties song, right? Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean he did pretty good with those albums. He had a couple there that were gold and platinum again when he made that comeback. I don't think um, I'm not sure there might be one or two off of the the first two. Um, the, the raise your fist and yell, and what's the other one? Constrictor. Hmm. But yeah, then he. But but again, it's uh, it, it's um, right there. You know, you brought it up earlier. It's the power of the single, and and it's definitely the power of MTV is powering some of these uh, these entries like that, right? Yeah, the, the the one saw the one in the whole book. I think that threw me for a loop, and I couldn't believe it got in it. And you really went to town on it yourself. Uh, to live is to die. The Metallica instrumental made the top two hundred and fifty songs of the eighties. Oh yeah, <laughs> funny yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, Metallica had a lot of range. I mean, we're, you know, let's not forget. I mean, you know, Metallica. What do we got in here? We got Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and and Justice, which are all completely beloved albums. I mean, we we have a we have a little YouTube show called The Contrarians, and uh, and one of the guys, you know, it's it's where if one of the guys really likes it and you know an obscure album. By a band rather than the main choice, and and he went on and argued for justice rather eloquently. Um, this was this was Nick um, from our show, and um, 
And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, Ju- Justice is also quite a beloved album by that band. So, yeah, they're, they're spread out pretty evenly. I think I think the Ride, Ride the Lightning, there's another other couple of analyses in the back where I tabulate it by, I show the results by band, and then I show the results by album. And what do we got here? Number of the Beast one best album based on the song entries, right? And mm-hmm. the rating of them as well. That's important. Ride the Lightning was second. Master of Puppets was third. Wow. So Metallica got second and third slot. Then we go uh, Rain and Blood, Slayer, Blizzard of Oz, Back in Black, Heaven and Hell, Screaming for Vengeance. So, and then by band um, and waiting as well, um, Maiden, Metallica, then Ozzy, then Slayer, and the number five is Priest. Mm. So, Martin, how surprised were you that Swords and Tequila by Riot got number 61? Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Riot, Riot definitely is still beloved and still known. And then the new version of the band, which is a really cool band, is still out there doing their thing. I think they got two studio albums in the post-Mark Reale, uh era. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, good to see Riot showing up. But again, uh, you know, it's a song with a flashy title. It's their big anthem. You know, there, there's not a lot of spread. Um but yeah, some of these bands, it, it, like I say, you you focus on one song, and it'll it'll get in there. Hmm. There's a lot of bands that came out in the late '80s, and I'm particularly thinking of Badlands and Blue Murder, and they didn't have any entries in the top 250 at all. Did that surprise you? Yeah, because well, you think of Blue Murder, and and what is their biggest song? Jelly Roll, maybe. Or Riot, um, maybe. Okay. Um, and then Badlands, you know, I, I I love that Badlands album, but I but I you know right off the top of my head, Dreams in the Dark, I think they made a video for, but you know th- there isn't one that you would push above all others. So I would suspect that those bands got got a few votes, but it might have been spread a- across a, a a few different albums. But um, hopefully, hopefully the revenge of some of those late '80s bands will uh, will be showing up in the '90s book. Mm. So how su- how surprised were you with the number of accept songs that were voted in? Yeah, I I would say there I think I'd say there's a good reason for that, and I think I think the reason for that would be that uh, the Mark Turnillo version of the band is so well regarded with with all those albums they've made. I think it's three or four now, um, and and the regular touring and how good they are live. and the fact that Udo's out touring, right? Udo's been out touring and playing accept songs, so. Um, I think accept is is well on the minds of people, um, and uh, I, I have a feeling that is something that that would affect like that like that strange Iron Maiden Metallica idea. You know, people aren't talking about Metallica very much lately, right? Hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think if you're just out there exposed, um, you know, certain bands are on people's minds, and uh, and they'll pick them. Hmm. Now, Martin, you can correct me here, but I don't recall seeing an Aerosmith song in the whole book. Well, that's interesting. Um, that's uh, boy, that's uh, that's kind of odd to see, I suppose. Um, they certainly are well represented in the '70s book. They're all over the '70s book. Yeah. So, what do we got from Aerosmith? So, you wouldn't have anything particularly from what is the first one? So, R- Rock and so a Hard Rock Place. Rock and a Hard Place. Yeah, I thought that might have got a few votes. I'm surprised they're not in there. Um, and then I, I can understand why nothing from the next one, Done With Mirrors, is in there. And then, what, what do you got? Love in an Elevator? Permanent Vacation. Or no, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, Permanent Vacations. Uh, Love in an Elevator is from Pump, so that's 1989. Permanent Vacations is 87. Yeah. Um, so you would have had, what, Dude? 
Um, Ragdoll. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's funny. It's uh, it's maybe again no no songs are just like like you know really really rising above the fray. I I think people have a little bit of an animosity towards dude and even loving an elevator, right? My- and then nothing else really off of Pump is gonna is gonna get up there. There's some good heavy songs on Pump. Pump's a good album. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe they lumped them all in with Bon Jovi and just and they didn't vote for Bon Jovi, so I'm not voting for Aerosmith. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, there's not one Bon Jovi in here, is there? No, and and, um, they, and they voted in I, Poison by Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funny. Yeah, I, I have a little uh, one of these little analysis. What does it say here? I was just looking at it about hair metal. Hair metal, same as above. I'm not looking for a debate on what constitutes hair metal, but here are rough the rough contour of the hair metal bands represented by our list: Jeff Leppard, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Poison, Rat, Skid Row, Twisted Sister, White Snake. Oddly, completely missing in action, Bon Jovi and Cinderella. So there's neither of both of those. And then I don't know. I tend to uh, include Wasp and Kiss in the '80s as hair metal, also. But I know you're already taking issue with GNR and Skid Row. What about Quiet Ride? And then there's Crocus and Alice Cooper with Poison. <laughs> yeah, so I even mentioned it there too. It's funny. Mm. Yeah. New Wave of British Heavy Metal. We've got, uh, in broad terms, uh, we've got Angel Witch, Diamond Head, Grim Reaper, Holocaust, Iron Maiden, Motorhead, Saxon, Titus of Penta, and Venom. Mm. Martin, did it, did it surprise you that people remembered Fate No More, Living Color, King's X, and put them in? Well, again, um, I think what you have there is like Living Color is a perfect case where people couldn't name you a, a single Living Color song past Cult of Personality and Letter to Landlord, right? Mm. Um, but Cult of Personality is such a massive song. And that, that also has been used, I can't remember where I've been hearing it recently or in the, over the last few years, but that song's been used a lot in TV and movies, I think, as well, right? Mm. Mm. Fake No More, I mean, they came back with an album and a tour, so they might have been on people's minds for that reason. Yeah. Did, did you think ACDC would get more songs in? Because they seemed to be only focused on, on the two records in the early 80s, and then the rest of them were ignored. Yeah, so what do we got? I, I can understand Fly in the Wall and Blow Up Your Video not being in there. And then the next one after that, I think, is a 1990s album. So you really only have four albums to go, uh, five albums to go from, right? You, you got Switch as well. Flick of the Switch, and yeah. Flick of the Switch. I love Flick of the Switch, but again, that's one with no really big songs off of it, so they're, so they're split between all of them. So I can understand. And I think Back in Black is is in way at the top in terms of, of uh, albums here, in terms of representation. Where is that? So that's number six in terms of representation. Mm. So um, I don't know. Was there was there some for those about to rock in there? That was in it, yeah. And then after that, there was nothing. Possibly the title track. Yeah, and then there was nothing. Yeah. There was nothing. And yeah. the, the other thing the book uh, definitely spoke to me was I'm a massive Rush fan, and I grew up with Rush in the 80s. And the 80s period of Rush after moving pictures is ignored. Yeah, which is which is pretty understandable. I don't know. Did did subdivisions or New World Man make it in there? But after that, like, forget it. Yeah, nothing's going to get an, a, enough votes. And there's lots of Rush in the seventies, but they they did well in there. Hmm. I'm trying to think, Martin. Is there any Queen songs in it? I don't believe there is. I, I don't that, believe there's any Queen. I mean, that's, by that point, Queen is so not even considered a heavy metal band, right? Yeah, yeah. One Vision is. They have some heavy tracks, though. Yeah, yeah, here and there. You know, one one of my complaints about Queen always in the 80s, though, is even when they rocked out, they, they it was just not with the same sort of um, inspiration as the early stuff. The, the, the note density and the complexity. They, they, he almost got, he almost got uh, 
you know, to, to, to point it in a real general way or place it in a general way, he almost started sounding like bad company. So, so it almost made sense that he had Paul Rogers in the band later. Right. I mean, the songs really, you know, your hammer to fall and one mission, all that headlong, they, they all just seem to be really kind of pedestrian, bluesy, boogie, woogie stacked power chord songs rather than, you know, your, your let me entertain yous or stone cold crazies or modern time rock and roll. Right. Hmm. Yeah. There's, um, the songs that are up near the top, there's a lot of them now. If I never heard them again, I'd be okay with it. <laughs> you know, you kind oh, of you're, you're crazy train and all these songs. You're just sick to death to hearing them. And I can understand yeah. a metal fan maybe picking obscure songs because they're probably thinking, "Listen, everyone else is going to vote for Crazy Train. They're all going to vote for Welcome to the Jungle. I'm going to try and pick yeah. some obscure stuff." Well, that's interesting because that is also a debate I have with buddies of mine. We've got this uh, email group of industry people, and, and we discuss that when we're picking our favorite albums. And it gets into a really heated debate about, you know, you, you're supposed to be responsible when you do these lists, right? And responsible means, you know, you know, it's tacit. It's not a spoken rule, but but you're you're supposed to. Um, you know, be responsible in terms of like picking, you know, what are the big anthems, even if you are sick of them kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I always consider myself a little bit of a contrary not completely, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do tend to pick some of the obscure tracks, but, um, but you, you know, you, you try not to, but, but again, I mean, I, I think you could always make the argument that the songs picked, uh, to be singles are not, are not really the best songs. I mean, they're, you know, they're the best. They're picked by committee and the suits and and the corporate end of things, and they're picked because they're hooky and they're simple, possibly. Um, but you know, you you just go one or two layers down into the deepness or depth of the metal fan of that band, and they, and they would pick a whole bunch of different songs that are more indicative, that might be a little more challenging, um, maybe even a little heavier, um, for for these bands. So yeah, no, it, it can go both ways. Yeah, Martin, I just got a couple of questions before I leave you go. Um, all your books are like, they're album by album. They might be like day by day. And and then you do some general books like the one you got back in, in inventory, the Who Invented Heavy Metal. Which which type of book is the most difficult to write for you? Boy, I'd say, I'd say the most difficult, well, I'll tell you, by, by far the most difficult. And, and they were very satisfying. I did these two books, uh, uh, all the albums, all the songs on Led Zeppelin and Clash, where I, it was just no interview stuff. It's just pure straight two pages, you know, one to two pages analysis of every single song. That was pretty tough. Um, but then, uh, you know, I, I do like the narrative books that are just like chapters of paragraphs, right? And then you're right. I've done, I've done, uh, probably 10 or 12. Even even just directly on bands that are timeline books that are just timelines and quotes, boom, 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 every single factoid laid out in in order, and then quotes put in that are relevant for that. So um, you know, and and I, even these poll books, these these two poll books, and soon to be a third, are are sort of like that. I mean, it is it is a review of a song, and then and then a quote based on the song. So we've got a quote for every song there. But uh, yeah, in terms of difficulty, you know. The other thing that makes a book difficult is if you're writing on a band that, that kind of intimidates you a little bit, like, you know, writing about every single Clash song and every single Led Zeppelin song, you, you've got you've got high standards and people are really going to look at you, you know, to, to make sure you do this right, right? Mm. So that's, that's always a little tricky. But, um, 
Well, no, the timeline books are actually kind of uh, kind of easy to do because you're just bouncing around and popping stuff in. You're not you're not having this you know string together a narrative. But um, but I, I think people like reading the the ones that are more like just straight paragraphs stories. And also, publishers have told me this all the time, and it's true. Books on one band sell better than than these general books. Mm. So, Martin, you've been self-publishing now for for a while. Um, how risky is it for you to do it now, or do you think you 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 have it down now that you know when you start a book, you have the audience out there that's going to buy it? Well, you know, I look at the eighty-five or so books I've done, and I'd say half of them are self-published, and half of them are through publishers. And I swear to God, I'd, you know, if I if I worked out where I actually made income-wise they would be almost dead even. Um, you know, one one situation is an advance of various sizes from zero all the way up to, you know, ten grand, twelve grand. Um, but literally some advances are zero and then and then you're getting royalties, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the way you get paid the one way. And then on self published ones, you simply gotta spend. You you spend to get it laid out, you spend to get it printed you you figure out how many you're going to print of it, and then as you sell the mail order, you know you you make your profit back, and usually it works out pretty much the same. There's not a lot of risk involved because I can print pretty low quantities. I mean, the risk almost becomes more so: did I waste a bunch of my time on this? Yeah. Or you know, did I did I make enough per you know spending the month or two or three or four months that it takes to to write the book? Um, so that's always a bit of a risk. But other than that, you know, you're you're not, you know, the the expenditure is not crazy because I have not gone into the self publishing, for example, of full color books that are hardcover that are making in China, right? Um, anything I've done like that, and there's quite a few of them, and they're beautiful. But that's the publisher taking care of that. That's Voyager Press with all these album by album ones, and you know, sad to say that I'm not going to get be getting any more of those. But there's still other publishers out there, and, and other deals to be had. Mm. Now, Martin, you self-published books on the likes of Riot, album by album, and you've done uh, Ted Nugent and Tin Lizzy and all, all these other bands. What's the one or two bands that people ask you the most to do a book in that format? That I haven't done yet, you mean? Yes. Like like a book on, I mean, in any format, the bands that I get asked about, number one, hands down, your eye heap. Um, so I may do a heap book at some point. Um a long story. I've got a buddy who's done a lot of research on Heap over the years, so we would probably do that together. Um, but I did ask about Saxon. Um, I'm thinking of possibly doing um, one of the three A's have always been in mind. Um, I'm thinking of doing a book on either Anthrax, Aerosmith, or Alcatraz. That would be kind of cool. Mm. Um, who else? Um, I've thought about a Queensryche. I was, that, of, you know, that's the one around with that, that a little bit. That, that's the one I was going to mention to you, Martin. Did you ever think about doing a Queensryche book? Yeah, yeah. And I've I've certainly interviewed those guys enough times, so I would have you know a fair bit of fresh to bring to the table. That's for sure. Um, another one I I love that is an underrated band that I would love to book on is Rat. I, I love Rat. Oh yeah. I, mean, I I you know a space booking with someone you know a few people on on my Facebook friends thing. And, you know, somebody came up with a comment, Rat only made good albums. And that's kind of true. There, there's no bad Rat albums. Hmm. What about Soundgarden? Soundgarden, I just don't have enough. I uh, don't have enough on them, enough interviews. Um, there's been two or three books already. 
because what I tend to do is I don't really want to do a book on a band unless I've interviewed them, you know, 20, 25 times. Yeah. Um, because I do want to bring a whole bunch fresh to the table. I don't want that. You know, I will, I, I will sample the available press and I'll do my own analysis, which I'll, I, you know, I've kind of learned to do more on or been inspired to by having done that clash in that Zeppelin. Um, but, you know, I, I, I just don't have the interviews for something like Soundgarden, and I certainly do for most of those other bands. Mm. Well, Martin, the books are excellent. The, the top 200, Aces High and, and Riff Raff, the 70s book. So uh, do you want to give Thank out all... Much. Yeah, they're brilliant. I can't, when, when do you think the 90s one will be done? Uh, I, I haven't even started it yet because I just kind of got sidetracked and I was working on this Maiden thing, but... Um, no, um, I I will get to it. Um, one of the neat things about that one is it's going to have a lot more fresh entries uh, than these ones did over those old ones. And frankly, I, I didn't worry that you know I did put out those old ones because they were so long ago, and I've you know there's so many new people and other people have dropped off that people don't even kind of re- kind of you know remember or reference the fact that there there was the original trunk that this all stems from. Mm. But um, but yeah, I'll get the '90s done. Unfortunately, in my um, I've I've got to do a, a. I'm working on getting a complete overhaul of my website, so I haven't even put Aces High up on my website. But uh, Riff Raff has been up there um, for a long time, and you can go in. at my site. I mean, my main thing is the mail order. I sign these and mail them out of my office, and there's PayPal buttons there for everything. But if people want the Aces High, they can either email me at martinp@inforamp.net. Or simply um, purchase the '70s one and send me an email and saying it's for the '80s one because they're because they're the same price. They're they're the same price for America, overseas, and for Canada. Perfect. And you've got nearly all your books up on the site anyway, Martin, for sale. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, this is martinpopoff.com. Anything that I have a supply of, like I've done about 85 books, and I would say in my office here, I probably have, you know, available for purchase 60 of those. 1555 something like that so so most of the things are still in print nice um, and just the other day I got a nice little package in from the UK my UK publisher is reissuing a lot of my stuff so my who invented heavy metal is now back in print and my uh, riot books towards in tequila is now back in print excellent well Martin it's been a pleasure talking to you and keep the books coming and I'll keep yeah. buying I'll keep buying them okay man thank so, you thank you very much it's been fun no problems. So have a good rest of the day. Okay. All right. We'll all right, talk Martin. to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye now. So there's all the latest news on the Martin Popoff front. And again, you want to pick up any of those books, you can pick those up at martinpopoff.com. And always a good deal to go and get uh, a couple of books, get a bundle. In that case, just figure out what it is you want. Shoot Martin an email and he'll give you back a paypal invoice and you are good to go so up next i have author jim santora author of the underrated rock book and i sat down with jim a few weeks ago to talk all about the book his idea in doing it and we just kind of rummaged through a few uh, random selections in there as well and batted about a little bit of debate almost like having a d- discussion with richie again a really good time i had talking with jim about the underrated rock book and uh, you know pretty much Anything else I'm going to say about it, you're going to figure out as I talk with Jim in the interview. So since we've got so much to cover, why don't I just uh, stop talking right now and uh, get right to my chat with Jim Santora about the underrated rock book. All right, uh, Focus on Metalers, on the line tonight, I have Jim Santora, the author of the underrated rock book. How you doing, Jim? 
Yeah, I'm doing great, uh, Scott. Uh, it's great to be on the show. Yeah, awesome. You know, I was reading your bio and I thought, holy crap, it's like Jim and I kind of led parallel lives, a lot of the same type of stuff. You know, I was on Terrestrial for a while. You, you know, you've been doing that. You've been singing in bands. I was singing and playing in bands. And uh, so it's uh, like, wow, all right. I, you know, kind of like a, like a twin out there. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's cool to finally get to talk to you. So cool. Uh, definitely enjoyed. I, uh, especially with this book, it's always great to, uh, get out there and, and spread the word and just, uh, let, let people know what's out there as far as what I've put together. So, yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about, about your book is, you know, it's one of these things where I almost think if I was going to write like a first book, this is what I would do. Cause I remember at one point I had a band that, and, uh, when I wasn't doing original bands, I had this cover band and we were always wanting to do this thing where, you would play like not the hits, but all these songs that when people heard it, they'd go, Oh crap, I love that song. And it was kind of like the 101 songs you forgot you liked kind of a, kind of a thing. And, uh, it never really came to true fruition because everyone in the band wanted to play the hit stuff too. But, but th- your book like really reminds me of that whole idea of, of the, the, you know, you look through it and I'm like, love that album, love that album, love that album. And, and some of them are like, you forgot that, that they even existed till you go back and you read the book. So it's, it was, it was pretty cool. One to kind of revisit the old idea for the band, but two, just going through and just kind of uh, reminiscing with a lot of the albums that you actually have in here. Yeah. And part about this book, when I first wanted to decide what or how I was going to do it and, and what kind of book, I knew I wanted to do something in the rock realm, but I didn't know which direction I wanted to go with it. And then, you know, the first thing I did was go and look through my own record, you know, CD collection uh, and albums and so on, and and just realized that through a, a, a time period of 45 years, because the book goes from 1970 to 2015, there's all this great music that I've gotten the opportunity to listen to. And there's so much of it that I go back and look and say, Man, more people need to listen to that. This was such a great album. Why? Why did it not sell? You know what was what was going on, or was it something where a band took a, a giant leap into something uh, uncharted waters, sort of speak, and and people didn't get it. And those were the kind of ideas. And I said, this is where this is where this book this book comes in. Mm. And and then it just kind of you know it was like a two and a half year process. And you know uh, September we released it and. Uh, and it's been great. Uh, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from it. And, uh, you know, I, I go back and, and look every once in a while. I keep going back and looking at stuff and, and saying, you know, yeah, you know, I still I still agree. And I still love the, the these artists and the bands. And, and a lot of the research that I put into this helped me find even other bands that I wasn't even, like, either truly focused on or didn't realize they even existed. And that was the other cool part about this book, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's really is varied too, as far as the stuff. There's, there's, you know, everything from you know Kelly Clarkson to Trivium in here. So it's, it's you have an incredible range of artists that are in here. Well, and 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 I even kind of explained early on in in the book as far as I wanted to go. Obviously, a span of forty five years. I just turned fifty, so you know, my span of music, I could could have dove it deeper into the sixties, but you know, my focus was. In that 1970 to 2015 period, obviously, I grew up listening to a lot of 70s music. Yeah. And even in the book, I, I kind of explained it. You know, I grew up on, you know, before I found Kiss, 
you know, there was the Monkees, and there was uh-huh. early Chicago, and there was Elton John, and uh, Electric Lead Orchestra. Um, so there were all these different bands that, like, my parents had albums or eight tracks and stuff, and I got exposed that way. And then didn't really kind of get into my wheelhouse until I was probably about 12 years old. When I, uh, 12, 13 years old, I started, you know, I had a job, I made money, and I, I would go out and then was able to buy my own albums and buy my own cassettes. And, and you kind of, and then that's why when you sit there and look at it, some people might look and, you know, there's a lot of stuff from the 80s and the 90s and then even in the 2000s. And that's kind of the, you know, but it's also kind of the timelines that I was kind of focused into all this different music and going into the different genres and styles of music that are in there. I wanted to make this book where it wasn't just one solid group. There's definitely a lot of hard rock in here. Yeah. Um, from yeah. different from different areas, but like you mentioned, there, Kelly Clarkson's in there, Run DMC's in there, and I have my reasons as for you know why those albums are in here and why they're why they're underrated and why they kind of fall into that rock spectrum that I put in here. But there's different bands. There's there's industrial bands. There's you know more '80s radio friendly type bands. So obviously, classic rock, punk rock. Uh, new wave. So, you know, we cover, we try to cover, uh, when I, when I was putting together, uh, more of, uh, more of inclusive for as, as many different people. If you're a fan of rock music, this is definitely a book that you could pick up and, in a couple things, find stuff that you, you know, that you forgot, you forgot that was, you know, stuff that you listened to back in, back in a certain period of time or, um, you know, stuff that you don't even remember. And, and that's some of the great feedback that I've had on this too, where people have said, Hey, I've gone back and found stuff from the eighties that I didn't even know existed. And that's the cool thing about this book when people pick it up, because you're going to find things that you don't remember that came out at a certain time period, because you might've been focused on just what, what was on the radio or what was on MTV at a particular time. Right. And then there was plenty of these other bands that kind of slid under the radar. And that's, and that's the cool thing about it. Yeah. And, and it's also interesting, you know, at the end of the book, when you have some, some kind of general list as well, and, and going to what you just talked about is, you know, you have a list in there of the bands and our artists that are in the book that are members of the rock and roll hall of fame. And, and you, there's great examples in here of, of, of bands like ACDC, you know, Aerosmith, Cheap Trick, where you would think, well, you know, how could like their albums be as underrated, but, you know, take Cheap Trick, for example, you've got all shook up in here. And, and I was one of these guys, right. probably were too, where if you liked a band, you just bought every single album that came out run right after the other. And uh, I can remember that, you know, like if you were like the true like fan of, of music, you, you found something to like and everything. But, um, yeah. you know, like Cheap Trick, you know, I went out and bought all shook up, but everybody else at it, you know, was still was all, you know, a big fan for, you know, Dream Police and, and all that. Like, nobody bought that album, and they just were kind of like, Why, why'd you buy that one? It's, it's just, it's no good. But it's, a, you know, it's an underrated, like, classic Cheap Trick album. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and Cheap Trick's one of, my, one of my favorite bands of all time. And when I first got into them, it was, you know, it was, it was the Dream Police album for me uh, in 79, uh, when, you know, 79, 80, when that comes out. And then, uh, you know, one of the first one of the first uh, cassettes that I actually had purchased with my own money was the All Shook Up album because I was so because I was actually at a time where like that album came out and I was like I remember begging my mother take me to the mall so I could go 
order that or you know go and uh and, and pick up that cassette and and you know pay it with my own money and stuff and it's truly i still listen to that album today and i'm just amazed at you know how that album wasn't bigger than it was and obviously they you know the one thing about cheap trick is a lot of people sit there and think well they're just kind of this more of this pop you know this pop rock kind of band with a little bit of an edge they, these guys these guys can do the hard rock stuff with with some of the with some of the big boys as well oh yeah you know they they kind of came across the whole gamut and you know they they took a lot of different steps here um obviously um you know with the with the heavy beatles influence that they you know that they um kind of um involved uh, in time, because they always talked about how influenced they were, uh, but they had Sir George Martin handle, you know, handle you know the production duties. Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos were doing work with John Lennon um, as well um, when uh, John Lennon released uh, Double Fantasy. So you know, a lot of the music, a lot of people don't realize that that they actually had their hands in in some of those songs that were on on that album. So. There was always that Beatles thing, and it was kind of like that big step for them, you know, when they released that. And um, and, and people just didn't get it. I mean, yeah, a couple of the songs, like Stop This Game and uh, Just Got Back, Make It On The Radio, but there were definite songs on there that could have been could have been way bigger, way bigger hits, uh, and they were. And, and did it derail the band a little bit? I think they were still a band that kind of did whatever they felt was right and natural. And and I think that's what made them such a great band and, and how other artists were influenced by them because of how they presented themselves. They weren't always, hey, we're just gonna go out there and, and write hits. You know, we're gonna write we're gonna write a bunch of other stuff that we think is, is great, but you might think is off the wall. Right. And that's the one thing that was cool about them. You did mention the list, and I just wanted to bring up that when uh, the list when I was putting that together, I was kinda looking for something else. After I do these two hundred albums and these little these uh, little 300 plus reviews that I had uh, that I put together the list um, a few years ago there was a book that came out called the merciless book of metal list Hallie Abrams was the author of that and, and it, it was really cool when I had my own uh, internet program um, I had him on my show numerous times and he, he had this book and it was always cool to kind of sit there and look at it and all these different lists and, and that was kind of the idea I had for that piece as well. It was kind of my own little take on it uh, with different things. And just another way to kind of look at these artists in, in the book, you know, and some of my other little additions as far as like, you know, the most under, you know, my opinion, anyhow, of the, uh, you know, most underrated or overlooked uh, artist of, of all time. And then I have my top 10 in there. So, um, you know, so just kind of, kind of little, little things out there and kind of, kind of just gives the book a little bit more of a, a different look, you know, especially towards the end, you know, at the end of the pages when you're wrapping things up. Yeah, definitely. You know, my co-host, Richie, he would agree with some of the ones on the, the most underrated list. He's a huge, huge King's X fan. And, you know, mm. we've had we've had Ty on the show who who went through every single album with us. We've had Doug on uh, once or twice. We've had Jerry on twice. Um, and so, yeah, they're kind of a, they've been a consistent theme on the show as well. And that's definitely one of those ones that's, that, instantly qualifies for that most underrated list. No argument on that one here. No, absolutely. I, um, I've also had the opportunity to uh, be in the same room with all those guys and interview them. They're, not only are they just great musicians, but they're, they're great people too. Uh, they're easy to talk to. 
um, about the music, about the things they were doing. But but talk about a band that has absolutely no luck in in you know having a great sound and the way they used to do the vocal harmonies and things like that. And they were another band to kind of change. You know, they could change up their sound and and done did a lot of different things. You know, you look at the. Uh, you know, like from the out of the out of the Silent Planet, and Gretchen uh, goes to Nebraska, and then you know they continue to progress album-wise. Uh, Ear Candy makes the book, but when you listen to Ear Candy, Ear Candy doesn't necessarily that doesn't sound anything like the album previous, which was Dog Man. Yeah, not even. And close. you know, you kind of have you know, it's kind of like this. You know, this kind of a uh, all of a sudden they they, they kind of like flip the switch on everybody. Um, but when you sit there and listen to any King's X song. I know Ear Candy is the one that I selected here, but but anything King's X does, you just sit there and you just shake your head like, here's another here's another classic song that the majority of people are not going to listen to. Right. Uh, which is which is very unfortunate. But Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I went through and I'm I was looking at some of them and just like and definitely I had a lot of holy crap moments in there. You know, right off the bat you had Night in the Ruts and Night I love that album. You know, pretty much I I would play that thing constantly. And obviously I'm a Boston boy, so I've been, you know, Aerosmith's one of my early bands that I was buying vinyl on. But that one there to me, it should have just been like so much bigger than that and uh you know i can try to convince my bands to play think about it all the time and and uh you know telling them it's the yard version, but they knew damn well i wanted to do the aerosmith version and that is definitely one of those uh those albums that for me i i love that album and i so it was it was cool that you know really early in the book i'm like all right i'm already hooked on this thing yeah and and, and the story the story about the aerosmith when i first got into the band my first experience of actually hearing aerosmith was i uh, was on the radio and i still remember uh the one radio station here i'm actually in southern new jersey so um you know we picked up a lot of radio stations in the in philadelphia area and i still remember there was a station they would play the old king biscuit flower hour mm-hmm. um concert series and um Aerosmith came on and they did a live thing. And I still remember, I, I real quick got a blank cassette and was, was recording because like the first song, I, I'm trying to even think what the first song would have been, but I got hooked, you know, and then you start listening to those classic songs they're playing. It's Dream On and and Sweet Emotion and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm hooked. And I still remember, I don't remember if it was a Christmas or whatever it was, but I had an aunt that was asking me like, you know, she knew she was going to give me a gift or something. And she was like, Hey, what kind of, what kind of music you listen to? And I told her Aerosmith. I'm like, I love, I love Aerosmith. There's this great band. So she went out and so she gets me this gift and here it's this, it's Aerosmith's night in the ruts. Hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, and then I went and listened to it. And I'm like, these aren't, I've never heard any of these songs. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and it was like, it was like one of those things. And here I was, I was like uh, probably fifth grade. I'm probably like 11 years old at the time this album comes out. But I was like, it was so, all the music on here was so cool, but you can't find anybody, you know, that's a casual Aerosmith fan that's going to know anything about that album. You know, and, and like like you were saying, like with uh, like the songs, like uh, Think About It and stuff, Three Mile Smile was always my favorite. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Cheesecake was another one as well. I mean, it was just, you know, it's just when you start listening, when I actually got into the band where I, then I actually went back and, you know, found like the Toys in the Attic and Rocks and all that stuff. And you kind of, you know, you kind of get into that timeline. And then you start reading the story about the band where this was kind of like at the time where the band started imploding and guys were 
leaving the band and other guys were kind of coming in and doing guitar parts and stuff like that. And of course, then they did the Sergeant Pepper thing, which I don't think ever did him any favors. No, I didn't, didn't, didn't do anyone any favors. Yeah, I mean, outside of the outside of the Bee Gees, it seemed like the Bee Gees probably couldn't do any wrong during that time. But like Frampton and, and Aerosmith, I think they kind of took a big hit yeah. at that time. And of course, it took Aerosmith years later you know, to get, you know, to kind of get back into the swing of things. And, you know, they changed their style a little bit, you know, in the, that mid to late 80s. And, and next thing you know, they were, you know, they were uh, as big or if not bigger, you know, than, than that heyday in the 70s. But this is still an album that I still enjoy. And, you know, I'll go if uh, I still play stuff in my truck and I'll still go grab that CD, you know, and, and crank that up every chance I get. Yeah. Yeah, another great one you had in here that that me and my co-host are, are both big fans of is the is the self-titled one from Badlands. I, mean, I remember popping that thing in and being just like, "Holy crap!" I mean, front to back, everything about that thing was just amazing. Great vocals, great guitar, drumming was awesome, bass was right there in the pocket. Just an amazing album. And you and you would think this this band is just going to go sky high and and. Uh, you know, I think it was about three albums, and they were and they were done. I mean, obviously, you know, we lost Ray, but I mean, that was another one that I saw that, and it was like, wow, yeah, incredible album. When I first heard the Badlands album, uh, I was uh, DJing in, in college radio at the time, and you know, when this first comes out, you you almost have to think this is going to be a slam dunk record, you know, because you know Ray Gillen's vocals are are some of the best vocals you're going to hear on, on any release period. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, it's Jakey Lee on guitar, you know, you're sitting there thinking this guy, this is Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player, you know, you know, he's, you know, he's on uh, bark of the moon and all those, all those different albums and, you know, those, those few albums that he was on, but you know, you're sitting there, you know, when you sit there and listen to those tracks like uh, winner's call and Dreams in the Dark, and High Wire. I mean, right off the bat, those three songs alone would be massive hits for any other any other band. Mm-hmm. And this is an album that is a consensus. Uh, when I was going out and doing research and you know throwing stuff out on social media to kind of have people kind of tell me, hey, what are, what are some of your choices as far as uh, underrated or overlooked albums? The Badlands, the, that first Badlands album is often spoken about. And it makes sense why, because once you start listening to it, you're sitting there going, you're blown away by stuff. And, you know, and the talent in this band, and, and let's not forget that, um, you know, that uh, Eric Singer's in this band too, playing drums. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just a phenomenal record. It doesn't get old. And, you know, it's just really, a, it's really a shame also, because again, you know, they did have two other albums. And they just didn't take shape, you know. And even his first one doesn't really get all the all the uh, accolades that it deserved when it came out. Now, you know, sometimes, and I even say it in the book that there's a lot of these albums. That sometimes it's it's either wrong place, wrong time, or you know, things were shifting in the musical direction because bands were going, bands were doing this style, but this this next style was getting bigger. You know, kind of like how everybody always talks about hair bands and and grunge. You know how that kind of you know uh, falls in falls in line where you know some some bands kind of you know kind of came into the game late and it kind of kind of cost them a little bit and a lot of people missed out on some great albums during that time. Sure, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, this was a big one. I had I had a bass player at the time that he was about ready to be at gunpoint to get us to do Winter's Call. He, he great song and it was just kind of like 
yeah, but we're just not going to grab an audience with it, you know. But yeah, that mm-hmm. just awesome, awesome album. Yeah, and so I was, I was psyched to see that one in here. Of course, you got a you got a controversial one in here. We've I think we've even talked about it on the show before, and uh, people either love it or hate it. And you probably know which one I'm going to talk about, and that's the music from the Elder. I remember I remember actually getting that album. I was in um, I was doing college radio when that album came out, and I had I knew nothing about it, and I'm digging in the stacks, and I I'm like, the hell did this Kiss album come out? And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I liked I, and then the rest of it was really kind of leaving me cold and, and even, you know, coming back and, um, you know, we had someone on, I think last year who wrote a, a book about the elder and everything. And we had him on. Wow, time flies as uh, I decided I was going to go and check out and put a note in here about what episode that we talked about the elder thinking it was sometime last year. But holy crap, you know, I really I got to get an index so I can remember when the heck we have guests on and how many times we have them on. In reality, that uh, that show we did on the elder was back in uh, December of 2016. We had author Tim McFate on the show to talk about Odyssey, the definitive examination of music from the elder. So if you want to check that one out, you can go up to focusonmetal.net and go to episode 313 last year. What the hell was I thinking? All right, back to my talk with author Jim Santora. I went back and I revisited the album thinking maybe all this time later, you know, I'll, it'll speak to me a little bit more, but yeah, it's it still wasn't doing it, and, and definitely this is one of those ones I think that divides people. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of at a a strange time for Kiss, you know, because here we are they, they they come into the eighties, they've already kind of taken a hit, even though um, when the Dynasty album comes out and I was made for loving you is is you know a big hit, but they I think they they kind of lost that core fan base, you know, that they had. Mm. You know, and then I think what is it? Unmask comes out after that, and then you know, here's here's the elder, and and I find out about the elder like kind of a little bit later. Like I'm in high school, and I got a buddy of mine that's like a huge Kiss fan, and he has the album or a cassette or whatever it was, and and you know he starts playing it, and I'm listening. I'm like, you know, this is pretty cool, but I've never heard this stuff. You know, because there was that there was a gap where I guess I stopped listening to Kiss, and you know, kind of like after that Dynasty album, and then don't get back into it until like you know when uh, what is it like uh, uh, Heaven's on Fire and all those you know, like you know all that stuff from like Animalized and stuff like that, uh, Lick It Up um, and, and so on. So you know when you go in, you start. And I I went back and I said, let me go back and listen to this. So kind of like what you did, you went and listened to it, and you still didn't didn't uh, didn't feel it. But um, and and one of the things I say in the book here is I kind of compare this to when Queen did the Flash Gordon movie soundtrack. Yeah, where you know Queen was kind of at the top of their game too, and then all of a sudden they kind of did they kind of did that Flash Gordon thing, and it kind of I think they take a hit because sometimes I think. There are certain bands that, for some reason, they do something because somebody's asked them to do it. We want you to be, want you to do a do a movie soundtrack or something like that. And and next thing you know, it doesn't it doesn't go over. Right. And with Kiss, I think that the problem with what Kiss was trying to do is they tried to change their sound, and their sound was you know, I mean, obviously Kiss. Everybody sits there and goes, it's either Knights and Satan Service or it's Keep It Simple Stupid. So, you know, if you listen to traditional Kiss stuff, 
it's it's the other it's the keep it simple stupid stuff but it totally worked for that band that band had a ton of great songs that were you know it's not I mean obviously Ace Frehley's a great he's a, in my opinion he's a great guitarist I've seen him live and, and the band is you know is is very tight when they're when they're on and when you listen to a lot of their songs that's what you get into like yeah you know this is like you know I can listen to this all day you know rock and roll over destroyer all that stuff then you listen to this and it's like whoa what's what's you know what's Kiss trying to do here they kind of have like this Pink Floyd vibe going yeah. and they tried it and sometimes, it, you know, some songs it works. There's some songs that it doesn't work. Obviously, The Oath, I always thought, was a great song that clearly gets overlooked. And then you know, the other song was uh, World Without Heroes, which I believe uh, Gene Simmons actually uh, sings that song. And, um, you know, they, there's, some, there's some stuff in there where you can sit there and, like, you know, this band at some point, you know, after you go through and, like, this band was always, like, all about fun and the parties and the girls and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, this one came out and was like, "Kiss is trying to be like a serious band." And you know, it was it was the um, almost like the A for effort kind of thing. And I think a lot of people kind of really missed it because I, you know, that's where I think there's plenty of albums in this book where it was the band had an idea, and for whatever reason, you know, people just didn't get it. And that's where, like you said, this is a dividing record for this band because. People hate it. People love it. There's some people that are kind of on the fence if they've even heard it at all. But even Paul Stanley has said that he doesn't really care for this album. So, so it says a lot. It's even divided by their own band band members in that case. So definitely one of those ones that uh, that kind of splits people apart. We've had a lot of fun with it over the years. That's that's for sure. Yeah. You kind of alluded to when we, you know, you go back and you read about in the back end of the book and you talk about the list. You allude to. The possibility of a follow-up is that something still in the offing? There's, it, it's definitely in the. Um, well, if you, if, if you if you talk to my wife, I'm never writing another book ever again. <laughs> um, it, and, and you know what? It is. Uh, it is a book where it, it, it was time-consuming, and there were days where I would sit in the room and write and write and write. But then I also would like not do stuff for like a couple months because. I knew I had to write stuff, but I was like, I'm not really, you know, when you feel it, then you're on, yeah. you know? And, um, right now I'm kind of in a, more of another gathering stage, uh, for this. Mm. Um, I've gotten a lot of great feedback and I've also gotten a lot of great suggestions for other albums. I'm like, yo, you need to check this out now. And, and it was funny when I, I finished a book and I had a friend of mine that I went to him and I said, you know, I said, Hey, I got the book finished. Um, you know, we're getting it, we're getting it, um, you know, ready to go out and, you know, we got the release date and all that stuff. And then a buddy, a buddy of mine goes to me and says, Hey, you know what I was listening to? I was listening to, uh, the band was Urge Overkill. Uh, they had an album called Sat Saturation. It was like in the mid nineties. It was awesome. Um, awesome album. Yeah, it was an awesome record. And he mentions that record. And don't you know, I sat there and I said, <laughs> I said, man, I, you know, I was like sitting there like here, I put all this effort in, I did 200, uh, 200 albums. And I'm like, that's one album that would have got, would, would have been on this list. Mm. And I missed it. And, and that's the one thing about this. Like I put it in for 200 most overlooked albums, but the, the, the great thing about music is there's always so much more that's out there that you forget certain things. 
you forget certain artists, even though in my, in my head, I should have had them in there all the time because I had the record. But for some reason, it never, it never crossed the wavelength that I would sit there and say, that's, that's an underrated record or that was overlooked. But it was. And I've had other, other artists that have come across that I'm looking and I'm going, yeah, that one too and this one. And then I got my son, who's 22 years old. He starts throwing me artists that I'm not maybe all that familiar with outside of maybe a song or two. And then he'll throw something at me from like more on the alternative rock stuff that came out like 10, 15 years ago. And I'd be listening like, yeah, this is really good too. So, so there's all these different things. I'm kind of gathering my, my I, I, one of the things I had when I wrote this was there's a lot of lessons learned. So one of those is, you know, I want to be able to have my next version, and it'll probably be another one where I do another 200, uh, no working title. But once I get those 200 and lock those in and say these are the 200, then the writing process can begin. Hmm. And so while it's probably something that won't happen in the next six months, I'm, I'm definitely looking at, you know, something in the next, uh, you know, maybe maybe end of 2020 or 2021. But at the same time, I'm sitting here and I'm continuously, um, you know, uh, doing stuff with the with the book currently, and um, and I'm getting a lot, you know, getting getting a lot of feedback, and and, and sales have been good. So, um, you know, I really can't complain for something that was uh, basically, uh, you know, I'm just kind of doing this on my own as as an independent. Um, but you know, for the effort that I've put into it, I've been uh, greatly satisfied with the result and and sales and stuff like that because there's plenty of people out there that, that write books and for whatever reason uh they you know if they sell if they sell one you know they're lucky but there's a lot of people out there that you know i might be one of the fortunate ones where i've had you know where i've had you know many people uh grab the book and then you know obviously spread the word tell other people about it or you know uh, come back and give me positive feedback so it's definitely been a been a great thing so all of that attributed to that is is kind of where i'm leaning towards doing doing another version of this but again i i, I don't want to rush into it i want to make sure that you know i have the the next 200 and have them you know have them locked in where i'm not leaving any stone uh, unturned yeah. in, in the second and you're kind of in a, in a good spot too because you know when the, you kind of doing your prime listening is is when you you weren't having this overwhelming hit of of albums either. Like I mean, these days, could you imagine somebody, you know, going back like twenty years from now and looking at, at releases now? I mean, the number of albums that come out every week now is insane, and most of them mm-hmm. almost get buried instantly. It would be phenomenally hard to do a book like this, like twenty years from now. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's interesting how, and and obviously, I've, I've been asked all these different questions on other programs as far as like, you know, everybody talks about now the state of rock and roll and stuff like that. Like when you really look at it, we're in a position now with rock music and hard rock metal and and you name it, where you know there's going to be a lot of overlooked albums mm-hmm. um which which is which is which is uh which is a shame because there's so many great there's there's so many different great bands or potentially great bands that are out there that people aren't really going to get a chance to really experience i mean obviously a lot of these bands are kind of that uh, you know now they're they're kind of the underground or the independent like i remember you know there's a there's a time where you know, college radio was where bands kind of broke in. And now it's kind of, you know, going towards, you know, now it's all the internet and social media and, hey, videos on YouTube and stuff like that. But there's so much out there. It's like 
how can you be how can you be a band that stands out? You know what I mean? So so for every uh, and I know people rag on this band too, but you know what? Uh, they debuted they debuted an album in the top five. Great Von Fleet is a is a great example of where here's a band that kind of rose from you know this this kind of hodgepodge of rock music to become a band that has that posted a top five or top three album, mm-hmm. you know, when it, when it's released. So, you know, there, there's still those possibilities. And I think there's a time where, you know, again, everything kind of goes into waves. And right now everybody's kind of riding this, this hip hop wave. And you even see it in the rock stuff now too, where some of these artists, like I listen, listen to now where, you know, there's these hip hop elements and, different beats and different, uh, like, uh, whether it's keyboards or DJ type stuff. And, you know, and I think everybody's just trying to find a niche, but I think what you're going to find is that eventually there's going to be some sort of shift and then rock music or some form of rock music is going to come in here and it's going to, it's going to blow things up. Cause I think, you know, people get tired of certain things and, you know, at some point everybody's going to get tired of auto tune. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a yeah. It's a strange thing. I don't I don't really get it. There's a lot of stuff out there that I don't get, but um, you know, it's you know, there's still some. I was just listening, um, uh, like a band like Dinosaur Pileup. I was just listening to to a a new song that they just came out with, and I'm sitting there going, this song, you know, if this song was released 15, 20 years ago, be all over the place. Mm. It would just simply blow up. But like, you know, now we're, you know, it's 2019 and this is kind of, you know, sits on a back burner unless you're, you know, you're listening to, you know, satellite radio or there's some internet stations that are playing, you know, playing some of this stuff. You know, you kind of, you know, unless you're privileged to a rock station that is, you know, catering to newer artists and not continually playing the same, you know, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, Van Halen mix every hour. So, uh, and, and not that there's anything wrong with those bands, but I mean, when you're sitting there looking, it's like, it seems like radio stations that play rock music are still playing with the classics. Yeah. And, um, and I also don't get the whole thing when you have these other great bands. I think there's still bands, unfortunately, that like, that came from the 80s that don't get their shake. They can come out with a great album now and they don't, they don't get a fair shake and, you know, even when they kind of put themselves into different bands, uh, the, the one is I, I have a, uh, the new album from the End Machine, mm-hmm. which is of course a three three quarter three quarters docking, and I'm like, these this is a, an excellent album, and it's like I don't radio stations around around here are not going to play that, and then when you go to satellite, you don't even really hear it on you won't even hear it on satellite radio, which is which is a shame because it's really a really a great release, and you know for 2019, mm-hmm. and uh, and people people aren't going to you know. Who knows? That might end up very well, very well in the next edition of the book. You know, it's almost it's almost a layup in in this case. But, well, either that um, one or 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 the Lynch Pilson release, which is very similar to it, which is another great one. Oh yes, and I yeah, and I and I have that one also, and that's uh, that's a good one. That's a that's a very good one. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely correct. There's there's so many of these different combinations of people that have done you know done different you know bands with each other uh and like we when we mentioned king's x i mean even like the kxm mm-hmm. uh stuff when uh when uh doug and um george lynch and uh, ray luzier get together and do that and that stuff that stuff is great and it's just you know unfortunately you know they're playing to it they're playing to a particular audience but they're not playing to all the masses because 
you know, people just aren't, you know, uh, program directors just aren't, you know, grabbing stuff from guys that, you know, people would think are past their prime, but yeah. you know, they're still kicking ass. They're still kicking ass. So, you know, um, you know, I never looked at it that way. I, if I, if I owned the radio station, I would, I would, I would be, you know, a little more, um, into, you know, giving these bands a shot and let, let, you know, let the people that are listening, you know, tell me what they, what they think about stuff, you right. know, but, but we're, we're not, we're not, in that, we're not in that game. So. Yeah. yeah. You yeah, know, right. so they just get told yeah. corporate, this is the 19 songs you're playing this month. And, and nobody get nobody plays that, you know, even takes another deep cut or anything like that. There's, I mean, there's a couple independents, but I know here on the East yeah. coast, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty sparse. Yeah. It's almost like, it, I, from what I see, it looks like when you go to the Midwest, the Midwest is where, you know, uh, bands can get their break. Mm -hmm. You know, they can kind of do that thing. Cause I kind of see that when I, when I look at stuff, it seems like there's some bands that like aren't really known on the East coast. They can come through here and, and nothing happens, but you know, they go and they go in the Midwest somewhere and uh, you know, and these bands are, you know, selling out small, you know, small venues and getting played on the radio out there. So, yeah. you know, so everything's about territories, I guess. So. Yes. Yeah. So uh, before I let you go, I want you to make sure that I give you the opportunity to give out all of the, your website information, social media, all that, so people can uh, can get a hold of you and uh, and obviously buy the book and all that. So, uh, what's the what's the best places to go? Okay, well, the best place uh, to go for anybody to get started is uh, underratedrockbook.com. Um, from there, um, I do have my uh, you can you can link up to my Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram accounts. Um, as far as purchasing the book, I do have a ton of links that are on there. Your Amazon's Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. So uh, it's available in paperback and also on the Kindle ebook variety. So uh, whichever one you're you're in, you know you're into and you're interested in buying the book, you can grab those links there or go to any of those sites. Obviously, Amazon uh, is, is is slowly taking over the world. But you know if you go there, you do a search on underrated rock book, you'll find it there as well. On Facebook, it is uh, underrated uh, rock book. Let me make sure I do that right. Um, yeah, it's underrated rock book. If you do a search there, uh, Twitter is a U rock book. So if you want to check stuff out on on Twitter, but generally, uh, underratedrockbook.com has all kinds of information. Uh, gives a little bit of blurb about myself. We have different news on there. If we're you know doing you know doing different things. Uh, uh, as far as as far as the book, a lot of media stuff. So uh, there's other videos and uh, and other uh, shows that I've been on that talk about the book. So uh, there's a lot of stuff there that you can kind of grab from. Uh, and also, I'm always looking for uh, additional suggestions. So you can uh, send an email to uh, contact at underratedrockbook.com. And uh, just send me a message. You know, you can give me feedback if you've got, you've checked out the book and uh, you want to, you know, let me know some of the stuff. Or if there's, a, especially if there's certain albums uh, that uh, I need to take a look at. And um, and the one thing I wanted to note is with uh, since we were talking about uh, the the next version of this book, I do want to I do want to kind of go into more of the '60s. Um, if that's possible. So if there are, you know, I'm definitely looking for some different sixties, uh, type rock selections that I can, uh, get my hands on and, and, um, 
kind of, you know, kind of look for myself as far as part of my research as well. So that's out there also. But yeah, everything's out there. Or if you missed all that, it's just underrated rock book. Just do a search anywhere and you'll, you'll find a bunch of stuff with, uh, about the book on the internet. Awesome. You know, I know I've gone way over what I said I would for time-wise for you, and honestly, we could probably talk about this stuff for hours because uh, I think we're both equally passionate about this entire subject. But I really appreciate you taking uh, taking some time tonight to, to talk to us, and uh, absolutely, as long as the show's still kicking, the next book comes out, I definitely want to have you come back on so we can get the word out that it's arrived and let everybody know they can get it. Okay, well, definitely, uh, I, I want to thank you for having me on here. It was, uh, it's definitely a blast. I always enjoy talking about rock and hard rock music in general, so appreciate uh, you guys giving me the time to uh, talk about the book. No problem, Jim. And uh, again, thanks. All right, thank you. Wow, we are definitely back to old school focus on metal this week with an uh, hour and a half episode. Hasn't, uh, hasn't been this way in a little bit. Anyways... Big thanks to both of our guests this week. And again, best thing you can do is support the authors we had on this week. Go up to uh, martinpopoff.com, pick up your copy of Aces High or Riff Raff or any other books that are out there. I uh, recently just got uh, my own copy of his Alice Cooper book. Really great book, taking it through all the years of the coop, through all the variations of the band. Really well done, really informative. Lots of great pictures in there as well. And I believe I also got the uh, Iron Maiden uh, album by album at the, at the same time that I got the Coop book. Always go and get uh, get a bunch of different books from Martin at one time. And also make sure that you support uh, Jim Santora and grab yourself a copy of the underrated rock book, either in Kindle or uh, regular hard copy. And as he says, it's available up on Amazon or the best place to go is underratedrockbook.com. And hey, you know, again, if you guys have any suggestions on the follow-up to that and as Focus on Metal listeners, you got to have your own uh, special takes on that. Then uh, make sure that you shoot Jim an email or hit him up on Facebook and let him know. Let's make this next book as much of a success as this one. So originally the way the schedule was going to run, this would have been our uh, last episode before we take our annual summer break. But uh, there's some more great content sitting in the can. So I think we're going to actually kind of delay break by a few weeks and give you a few more episodes into July and then it might be a part of July, part of August break this time instead. And I think that next week our guest is scheduled to be Ron Keel. So uh, stay tuned for that one. But anyways, thanks for listening. But that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, as always... Remember, focus on metal. Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.